why don't you grab a Bible? Uh, we're going to be in a few different places this morning, but uh, if you want to be in Genesis chapter 3 and then have a, uh, your finger in Luke 2, because we'll kind of be in those two main sections. But um, like it's already been said, um, this is the Advent season. And so, <coughs> excuse me, um, every December we spend four Sundays um, focusing on Advent, the birth of Jesus. But uh, some of us might be going, well, what does the word Advent even mean? Like, what is, when we say it's the Advent season and the Advent uh, readings and the Advent candles and all that kind of stuff, the, the word Advent just means uh, arrival. It's, it's the idea of, in these next four Sundays, we're remembering and looking forward to the arrival of Jesus, His birth. And so us, right, in 2023, we are, we're looking back, right, and we're remembering the arrival of Jesus over these next four weeks. But then part of our Advent as believers in the year 2023, our Advent is we're looking forward to, with longing to the return of Jesus. So uh, this season, it's meant for us to look back and thank God that he came, but also our longing should be, please, Jesus, come again, right? We're, we're longing for you to return, and so that's what we want to do for this next month. Our series uh, this year is called The World Jesus Brings. And um, what, what I mean by that is um, sometimes I think we forget the significance of the birth of Jesus, um, that, it, that it literally changed the universe. Uh, it changed the planet forever. Uh, I think sometimes we get wrapped up, like I mentioned earlier, um, just kind of in the the cutesy story of it, um, you know, and there's nativity scenes, and then we have the, I remember when I was a kid, I was one of the wise men, and I had a towel on my head as one of the wise men, and they all didn't memorize any of my lines, but all the parents are saying, it's so cute, and here comes the shepherds, and their sheep, and blah, 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 and that, there's nothing wrong with that, really, like, if you drive by my house, you'll be like, wow, Christmas threw up all over Andrew's house, okay, because I love it. I love every aspect of it. It's great. We have two trees in our house. That's ridiculous, right? And there's nothing wrong with all of that, but I think sometimes we get, we get caught up in all of the good stuff and friends and family and food and giving gifts, and that's all great, but I think sometimes we forget that the birth of Jesus literally changed the world forever. And I mean, everywhere we go, um, I, uh, we have... Um, neighbors and, and non-Christian friends, and they celebrate those parts of it, I think, without even realizing <laughs> what they're celebrating. Like, we have people that we know that put up the nativity scene, and they're by not followers of Jesus by any stretch of the imagination, and yet it, this is, we're celebrating baby Jesus. And you go to the grocery store, and Mariah Carey singing about King Jesus on the radio, and you're like, what? Like, in the, in the, in save on, singing about Jesus being born and hail the king, and you kind of go, does our world know how significant this, this was? Jesus being born is the greatest event that ever took place, and it literally changed the world forever. I know years ago there was debate 
maybe 20, 30 years ago, over whether Jesus was real or not. Like, was he even a real person? And I can remember watching, you know, interviews on the street and people would ask. And there were so many people who would say, wow, he's just made up. Jesus is just a made up character. It's a cute little story. He didn't actually exist. Do you know that there is no scholar worth, if they're a serious scholar worth their weight, no scholar today argues that Jesus was not real because they would just get laughed at. There is overwhelming evidence that Jesus of Nazareth was a real man who was born in Bethlehem. It's a historical fact. And yet, I think we, we sometimes miss the significance of it. What happened when Jesus was born? And, and even carry that out, what happened because of his life, death, and resurrection? How did that change the world? So over the next four weeks, um, we want to look at how the world is described in the Bible before the coming of Jesus, and then we want to talk about the world that Jesus brings, uh, how the coming of Jesus and him bringing the kingdom of God um, changed the world drastically. So this week, um, we want to talk about the fact that Jesus brings peace into the chaos. Um, The world is depicted in the Bible before Jesus uh, as being quite chaotic, um, and, and you get a description of the world and what happened to it in the very first few chapters of Genesis. If you know the Bible, chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis describes God creating everything. And we're not going to read all of it. I would encourage you maybe this week to read Genesis 1 and 2. But we see that God creates everything. And after each day, He says, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then at the end, God looks at everything that He has made, the universe, planet Earth, all of the animals, humans. And He says, oh, it's very good. And there is this sense of wholeness and goodness and peace. There is no sin. There is no death in the world. And it's like the, uh, the, the God's space, if you want to call that heaven, and our space, earth, they're like completely overlapped. And God dwells with people, right? He walks with the first humans in the garden, we're told, in the cool of the day. And so Adam and Eve exist in this, this great whole relationship with with God. And then if you know Genesis 3, um, everything goes sideways, right? And Adam and Eve are tempted by the snake and the the character of God is brought into question. God's holding out on you. Don't you know? Right? He lied to you. You can eat from the tree. And and so what happens? Well, they, they believe the lie and they disobey and they don't trust God and they think, well, we can figure it out on our own. We can be our own gods. And what happens? Well, it brings shame and guilt and death and sin into the world. Right? Shame because they look and they, well, we're naked and now I'm ashamed of my, myself and they cover up and they hide from God because they're filled with regret and shame and guilt. And then what happens? God comes and he finds them, and yet there's consequences for sin, right? Notice that God is a just God, so he doesn't just say, well, you know what? You slipped up. Let's start over. It's fine. Whatever. There's consequences, and what happens is God pronounces curses because they chose to to rebel against him. So if you read Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15, God speaks to the serpent And he says this, because you've done this, done what? Well, uh, tempted Adam and Eve and and lied to them and and caused them to, to sin and stumble. He says, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. 
On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So God, first of all, curses Satan and gives us, even in the very beginning, a little glimmer of hope. Hey, there's someone coming. Who's the he? He's going he's gonna to step on your head, Satan. He's going he's gonna to crush your head, and you're going to do damage to him, too, in the midst of it. I mean, this is Jesus. So we go, well, there's good news. Even in the midst of these curses and the consequences of sin, God is promising, I'm going to fix this one day. And then in verse 16, this is what he says to the woman as a result of her sinning. He says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And all the ladies are like, thanks a lot, Eve. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So you'll go, okay, well, what's the consequence of sin? Well, there's pain. And anyone who has had a baby or been in the room when a baby's being born, you're like, yeah, it's painful. And, and even beyond that, there's actually wording in the Hebrew that is showing that the entire process of having kids is painful. And you think about the number of couples that we know that have miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage, who can't get pregnant, we go, it's a result of, it's not the way it's supposed to be. God tells Eve that your desire is going to be for your husband. Do you know what the word for in Hebrew means? Against. So it's not that her desire is, oh, I just want my husband. No, her desire is against her husband. And what happens? The husband is going to have a problem just being too dominant and ruling over. So what happens? Well, well, relationships are now fractured. There's disunity. There's discord. There's fighting. There's arguing. There's, there's separation. There's divorce. That's, that's not how it's supposed to be. Then God says to Adam in verse 17, he says, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So even, even the very ground that we walk on is, is cursed because of sin. So the next time that you're in your garden and you're saying, Why are there so many weeds in my garden? You can go, thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. God says, now, now you're going to have thistles and thorns and weeds. And he says to Adam, one day you're going to die and your body's going to turn back to dust. That's part of the, the curse of, of sin. These are the consequences. Like every aspect of this whole peaceful, good creation is now fractured and tainted and broken because of sin. Even the very ground, creation itself is, is broken. And as you continue to read the Bible, you'll notice that it, it, it just goes from worse to worse to worse. The first siblings, Cain and Abel, well, Cain murders his brother because he's jealous. Um, then you read about La uh, uh, Lamech later on, and Lamech actually kills people, and then he brags about it. Look how many people I've killed. I'm even worse than, than Cain was. Then you get to Genesis 6-5, and this is the description of humanity. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
And so God floods the earth and saves Noah and his family. And after the flood, God chooses Israel, his people. He gives them laws and commands to help them flourish. And you would think, well, and then they lived happily ever after, right? They kept the laws perfectly and they loved God with all their hearts. It's like, no. From the very beginning, Israel continued to fail and rebel. And we see war and murder and adultery and lying and stealing and idolatry. Uh, Then you fast forward to today and you look around the world and uh, you would describe it probably as chaotic. It's just chaos. And it goes all the way back to Genesis 3. That's where it all began. Um, There's probably uh, chaos in many of our different relationships. Uh, There's brokenness in our marriages, between our kids and us, between other family members. With your, with your neighbors, with other church members, there's just kind of chaos and brokenness and disruption. You look even at nature today and the earth is still reeling because of sin. So you go, I don't think natural disasters that wipe out hundreds of thousands of people and destroy, I don't think that was how it was supposed to be. Then even like go, get a little bit uh, uh, deeper, there's, there's chaos in your own soul, isn't there? You think about all the things that plague us today, anxiety, um, turmoil, racing thoughts, panic, confusion, indecision, frustration, guilt, shame, regret. Your own heart can be just this restless sea of inner conflict, just chaos. So Merry Merry Christmas. (laughs) I mean, this is the way the world's described. It's just like, man, since the fall, it's just... There's just so much brokenness and so much chaos in relationships and in my own heart and soul. And what the world desperately needs is peace, isn't it? We need peace between people in our relationships, in our marriages, between kids and neighbors and whatever. We need peace between nations. I mean, you look around the world and there's Russia and Ukraine and there's Israel and Hamas and there's all of these conflicts. And we're like, man, we need peace in the world. But most importantly, as as human beings, we desperately need peace with God. Since the fall, our relationship with God has been broken. And it's interesting that it's this time of year that we often say and sing things like, well, peace on earth. I think humanity, we try desperately to create peace in the midst of chaos. But listen, the peace that we try and create as human beings, it is always circumstantial. And so the peace then is, well, we just need to have really good retirement accounts. And we need insurance. And we need bomb shelters. And we need social safety nets. And we need the police. And and listen, there's nothing wrong. Don't hear me. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. Those are great. They can be great tools. But notice that... It's like, then I'll have peace once all my circumstances are taken care of, are are in, in order. And that's great until it's not, right? That's great until your circumstances then take a massive curveball or, or your safety nets or all of your things fail. Well, then what do you do? Um, there's actually a, uh, a company called Vision for Humanity, not a Christian company, but they publish every year the World Peace Index, So every year, they rate all the countries in the world, how peaceful are they, 
And their whole goal is they have eight pillars for peace, and we can achieve world peace as human beings. And some of their pillars are, you know, like stable government and uh, free speech and blah, 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 all these eight things. And if we can just accomplish all these eight things, then the whole world will be at peace. And every year they publish their report. Here's the World Peace Index. Here's how we're doing. Do you want to know what's sad but also funny? Do you know how uh, year after year after year the world peace is at? Just a flat line. Because some countries become more peaceful and lots of countries become less peaceful. So every year it's like, well, we're the exact same as we were last year. Right? Because it's all circumstantial. We'll only have peace if all of our circumstances are perfect. Now you get to biblically, peace is described as the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom goes far beyond just you know, all of my circumstances are perfect. Shalom is at its core just uh, rest. Yes, there's aspects of shalom where there's freedom from conflict between people and freedom from conflict in your own mind and heart. But it's this idea of like, if I, if, what's, what's shalom? Shalom is like everything is just right in the world. And I actually, I have, I have rest. So as you read the Old Testament, you realize that there is this longing in the human heart that we would have shalom. I just want peace. And then there's this reality that, that someone has to come to fix all these problems that we've created. And you read the Old Testament, and there's human kings, and there's judges, and there's prophets, and there's laws, and there's commands, and yet the story is none of this is working. Even the greatest king that Israel had, David, he failed miserably. There's just no, there's no one that can bring lasting peace and shalom on our own. We just can't do it. And then in the, in the Old Testament, then you begin to get these promises, right? We, we read one in Genesis 3. There's these promises as, oh, well, don't worry, there's actually someone coming. There's someone coming from outside that is going to come, and his name is the Messiah, and he's going to come, and he's going to be the one that finally brings lasting Peace. I mean, it was in our Advent reading, wasn't it? Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So, man, there's someone coming who literally his title is, he's the Prince of Peace. So then there was this longing, right? That, man, that's like Simeon. There's God, he's got to come soon. We just can't fix this problem on our own. And then if you go to Luke chapter 2, you read about a couple named Elizabeth and Zechariah, this old couple, and they miraculously get pregnant and they have a baby and they're told, this boy that is born to you, you're going to name him John and he's going to be the one that's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. He's going to announce when the Messiah comes. So they're like, okay, we're close we are close to the Prince of Peace coming now. And, and then John is born. And this is what his father, Zachariah, says in Luke chapter 1. When John is born, he actually sings. And it says this in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth 
of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. I mean, this sounds great, does it not? To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, this is John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And here it is, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Zacharias sings and prophesies, look at what God's going to do. He's going to come and he's going to save us from our enemies. He's going to be our salvation. He's going to show us mercy. The sun is going to rise on us and give light and all of this darkness and chaos and evil. And then this Messiah, he's going to help us walk into peace. And then Jesus is born, right? And you know this story, Luke 2.14. The angels come and they, they, they visit these shepherds. And what is their message? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. So you go, Jesus came, one of the reasons that he came is to give us peace in the midst of all of this chaos that we created. And you go, well, how? How did Jesus do this? How does he bring us peace? Well, he brings us peace by going to the most painful and bloody death you can imagine. I mean, Isaiah 53 prophesies this, talking about who this Messiah will be. He says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sin. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes were healed. So Jesus comes and through his life and his death and his resurrection, he brings us peace Now, I know that you probably have a a question that I had this week. If the birth of Jesus and his life and death and resurrection brings us peace, why do I then look around the world and it's so full of chaos still? Right? It's a good question. If Jesus came and he brought peace, why, why did my marriage still fall apart? Why haven't I spoken to my brother for 15 years? Why, why is Hamas slaughtering babies and mothers in Israel? Did Jesus bring peace? Right? That's a, that's a good question. It's an honest question that you, that you go, man, I look around the world and <laughs> it doesn't really seem that peaceful. So what did, what did Jesus do then? And I think um, it, it, it helps us to understand the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God operates, right? So I'm going <coughs> to, excuse me, um, draw this diagram because I think sometimes it helps us to just visualize uh, kind of this, this concept, right? It'll help us kind of make, make sense of it. So you ask, well, is the kingdom of God already here or is it in the future? And the answer is yes. 
the New Testament talks a lot, lots about the fact that we live in this, this present evil age, but there's also an age to come, right? So if you would talk about um, this, uh, I'm just going to use present, e- uh, evil does not start with A. Man, failed English, present evil age, right? Um, you, would, you would use words like, well, there's sin, uh, there's death in this age that we're living in. We're still affected by these things. Um, there's darkness, and there is slavery, um, and, uh, and we could, I mean, I'm not going to go on and on, but you could go on and on and on and on. What describes the world that we're living in? There's, there's brokenness, and there's sin, and there's death, and there's evil, and the Bible talks about, well, that is called the present evil age. That's the age that we, we live in. And then you hear the, the future age, the age to come described, and it's basically the, the opposite of all of these things. There is, there's life in the age to come, like eternal life. Um, there's uh, uh, there's uh, blessing. There's not a curse anymore. There's, there's blessing in the age to come. There's peace, shalom, in the age to come to come. And I mean, we could just go on and on. There's freedom. There's finally freedom in the age to come, right? The age to come. And so the Bible talks about that there's these two ages, isn't there? And so then you ask, well, where's the kingdom of of God then? Because I look around the world and I go, it doesn't seem like this. So what happens when Jesus came is Jesus inaugurated this is a manger, okay? And there's a cross, and I don't know how to draw an empty tomb. There's the stone rolling away. Um, Jesus came, and he inaugurated the kingdom. That's why Jesus walks around, and he says things like, um, the kingdom of God is in your midst. He doesn't say, the kingdom of God is coming. Don't worry. It's when I come the second time. He says, no, the kingdom of God is here. It's right in front of you. The kingdom of God is in your midst. And yet... We know that it's not going to be fully here uh, until the return of Jesus, when he ushers in, in its fullness, the kingdom, where there is, the presence of sin is gone, the power of death is gone, and all of the blessings of this future kingdom, right? So do you know where we live right now? We live right here in this in-between time, where we go, man, you and I, we are citizens of the kingdom of God today. We're citizens of the age to come. And yet, it's, it's not fully here yet. So that's why Jesus came and he sets us free and he brings peace and he brings life. And yet, we can still look around the world and go, man, I still see death and I still see sin and I still see chaos because we're still living in the present evil age. Jesus' kingdom hasn't fully come yet. And it will one day. And so, right now, we're kind of in this already, but not yet. And man, the New Testament, so much of the New Testament teaching is teaching us to live as people right here. Right, Paul, it's like Paul says, listen, church, you're a citizen of a future kingdom. Act like it. Right, you're still living like you're a citizen of this, this age that's fading away. He's like, you're not a citizen of this world. You're a citizen of the kingdom to come. So live like it. So this helps us, 
right? I can, I can look around the world and still believe that Jesus came and he accomplished peace for us. And yet I look around the world and I can, it's not at odds. I go, well, of course there's still chaos in the world because Jesus hasn't fully brought his kingdom yet. We're living in this in-between time. We live as citizens of the age to come. Is, it, is the kingdom here or is it not yet here? And the answer is yes, it's both. So you can have peace now until Jesus returns, but I think we won't experience peace and shalom in its fullness until the, the presence of death and sin are gone forever. Um, N.T. Wright writes about living in this already but not yet. He says this, that way of life, right, living as a, a citizen of the age to come, it's, it's not a, a matter simply of getting in touch with our inner depths. It's certainly not about keeping the commands of a distant deity. Rather, it is a new way of being human, the Jesus-shaped way of being human, the cross and resurrection way of life, the spirit-led pathway. It is the way which anticipates in the, presence, in the present the full, rich, glad human existence that will one day be ours when God makes all things new. It is about practicing in the presence, the present, the tunes we shall sing in God's new world. So this is what it actually means to be truly human. It's to live as, a, it's a new way of being human. So then you would ask, well, how then do I have peace in my own life? Like, well, how do I, how do I, how do I get that to, to sound selfish, right? Like, how do I get that kind of peace? If Jesus came and through his life, death, and resurrection, he offers us peace, well, then how do I, how do I have peace? And the Bible actually tells us, Romans 5.1, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how you have peace with God and peace in your life in the, in the present? It's by faith. So listen, there's no, there's no like magic, okay, if you just say these right things and if you just organize your life this way, then you'll finally have peace. Peace comes by faith. Paul says, you've been justified by faith and therefore you, you now have peace with God. So living by faith then, right, is just believing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he came, he was born that he lived a perfect life, that he willingly went to the cross, that he died a literal physical death, and then three days later, God raised him from the dead, and, and then he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. It's looking at the, 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 the Bible and saying, I believe that by faith. And Paul says, then you're justified, and guess what? Now you have peace with God. And then as followers of Jesus, we live as citizens of the age to come, and then we have a peace that is not solely based on our circumstances. Like Paul says in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, look, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I know, and we could probably pass the microphone around and share stories, but as your pastor, I know so many of you that have gone through hell on earth, and yet you've said that. I I, don't, I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But I have incredible peace in the midst of the worst circumstances possible. And you go, what is that? How, how, does, how is that possible? Well, the Word tells us. It's the peace of God given to you 
because of your faith in Jesus, right? Like, so I'll give you a few examples. Um, Lots of you know this story, and this is not like a life or death story, but two years ago, we uh, uh, went to buy a house, and the night before we went to move in and get possession of the house, the lawyer called, and long story short, they're like, oh, the bank's going to repossess that house. And I said, well, I've already sold my other house. And they said, sorry. So we were kind of scrambling, going, we have literally, we have three kids, and we have nowhere to live. And so by God's grace and providence, we found a, a, someone gave us a basement suite to live in. But there was about a month there where it was like, okay, God, why, why did that happen? We love that house. Why did you take that away from us? And then trying to find a suitable place to live and raise our kids. But I'll tell you, in like the, yes, frustration of all of that, if you would ask, hey, did you have peace in the midst of, uh, I don't know, maybe losing thousands of dollars and maybe uh, having to live in a basement for a few months? Did you have peace? Yeah, totally. Can't explain it. But it was because, like, look, look, who, look who's my king. Look who's my, it's Jesus. Like, he's got this. Not in the sense of like, he better come through and get me a house. Even if we were homeless, he's got it. I can have peace. I've talked with so many people that have gone through cancer. Um, as a pastor, there's a privilege of you get to, to walk with people as they, they near the end of their life. And I can't tell you the number of times it's Christians, they die differently. And I can remember one... Uh, Uh, lots of you know Ernie Reimer. And when he died uh, in his Ernie way, uh, I remember someone asked him, are, are you ready to go and be with Jesus? And his response was, oh, I suppose so. Isn't that just like Ernie, if you know Ernie? But there's so many stories, right, of Christians who are just like, yeah, you know what? I'm not even afraid to die. I can have peace. God's got my family. God's got me. I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus. Like, do you know who else lived like this? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul lived in this middle area where he's like, I'm a citizen of the, the age to come. And people would come, Paul, if you don't stop preaching about Jesus, we're going to kill you. And he goes, great. Then I get to go be with Jesus. Okay, fine. We're not going to kill you, Paul. We're going to let you live. Okay, great. I get more time to tell people about Jesus. And you read 2 Corinthians 11 and 12, and you, and you read all the things that Paul went through, and he says, I, I'm actually going to rejoice in my weakness. I mean, shipwrecked, stoned, multiple times, beaten, put in prison. He has a thorn in his flesh that God won't remove, and you would think he would go, God, why can't I have peace? What are you doing? And yet he doesn't. He says, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So you can have peace in the midst of chaotic things by trusting in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is what Jesus said to his disciples the night before he died in John 14. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Look what he says. Not as the world gives. Do I get, how does the world give peace? It's all based on your circumstances. Everything in your life, there can't be any problems, and then you'll have, Jesus says, I'm, I'm not going to give you peace that way. But look, he says, let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. So Jesus is the one who actually gives us peace, 
And I would say he, he's the one then. We walk as citizens of the age to come, and we're called to be peacemakers, and we're called to work on our uh, peace in our relationships and in our marriage. But ultimately, it is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who gives us peace. So listen, by, by way of application, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, um, I just have to be honest with you. You will not find peace outside of Jesus. You might, you might find it temporarily when, man, life's really good and there's money in the bank and there's food in the cupboards and I, I, my marriage is all circumstantially. Sure, you might have peace for a while, but when the storms of life come and inevitably they will come, you will not have lasting peace. That's what, that's what Christmas is about. The Prince of Peace came to give you peace. And you can have peace by placing your faith and your trust in the person and the work of Jesus. And, and listen, you'll, you'll still deal with, with sin and conflict and things like that. But ultimately, the most important person that you will have peace with is God himself. So trust, trust in him. And if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, I need to encourage you, live, live as a citizen of the age to come. That the New Testament would say, this is who you are, so live like it. And Jesus actually gives you peace and rest. And I'm not trying to like uh, paint this picture of you will now have no problems in life. No, of course not. But in the midst of the reality of living in this present evil age and sin and conflict and disruption and chaos, even in the midst of all of that, uh, you can rest. And you can experience true, lasting peace that you can't even understand. So, Jesus, I thank you um, that we can remember at this time of year why you came. Um, Jesus, we are just so blown away and thankful for the fact that you came. Um, we are uh, human beings so undeserving I mean, you, you read Scripture and you read the world that is the result of our own rebellion and sin. And yet, God, you looked at our condition and you looked at the world that you made and you looked at human beings and you had every right to say, I'm just going to wipe them out and start over. And yet, you looked at us with love and you said, I'm going to actually fix this problem that they've created. I'm going to send my own son, the Prince of Peace, to come and fix this chaos that they've unleashed on creation. So we thank you, Father. You are such a good and gracious God. Um, I, I just pray for us. I know that lots of us uh, um, don't have peace. And I know from my own life, Seasons where I don't have peace in my heart and in my soul, it's because I've taken my eyes off of you, Jesus. And I haven't trusted in your sovereignty and in your grace and in your provision for me. And I look at the present evil age and then I panic and I spiral and then I don't have any peace. So I just pray, God, I know that in our church there's, there's people that don't have peace in their relationships. There's people that don't have peace even in their own minds. And I pray, God, that as we place our trust and our faith in you, Jesus, that you would give us a peace that, that doesn't even 
It's not even comprehensible. A peace that passes understanding. That even in the midst of circumstances not going our way, we could say, you know what? I have peace and rest because of who Jesus is. So just do that work in our hearts, Jesus. And I pray that this, um, this Christmas especially, that we would just celebrate and remember the world that you bring, your kingdom here on earth, and that we would live as citizens of the age to come. So do that work in us, and I just pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.